You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we have PFL1, Lochnin versus Morais, preview, predictions, and breakdown. PFL1 takes place this upcoming weekend on April 1st, and it's a banger of a card to open up the 2023 season for the Professional Fighters League. In the main event, you have a former bantamweight title challenger inside the UFC trying to make a run in the Professional Fighters League with the knockout artist and powerful striker known as Magic Marlon Morais, who comes into the fight with a record of 23 victories, 11 losses, and one no contest, going up against the 2022 PFL featherweight champion in Brendan Lochnin from a no-go on the Dana White's Contender Series to the 2022 champion of the season. Lochnin's looking to make a statement against a UFC buzzsaw. And he comes into the fight with a record of 25 victories and four defeats. Then, in the co-main event in the light heavyweight division, you have a battle between Razor Rob Wilkinson, whose last loss comes in the middleweight division in the UFC against Israel Adesanya, comes into the fight with a record of 17 victories and two defeats, the light heavyweight champion of the 2022 PFL season, going up against a former UFC light heavyweight championship challenger in Tiago Mahenta. Santos, who comes in with a record of 22 victories and 11 defeats. Without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right. PFL predictions on the podcast. We've done it once or twice before for the 2021 season, I believe. I might have done 2022 season predictions, but I'm going to try to keep it um, a regular thing throughout the PFL this year and do the predictions for the best fights that I believe or what I believe are the best fights on the cards as we go through this championship season. On this specific podcast, we're going to be breaking down five fights on the card. We're going to start off with Daniel Torres and Alejandro Flores. Then we'll go to Chris Wade and Bubba Jenkins. Movlid Haibulaya versus Rio Kudo. Rob Wilkinson and Santos, or Tiago Santos, and then Brendan Lockton and Marlon Moraes. So we're not going to do like a huge intro or anything, but let's just kick it off. We're going to start in the featherweight division with Daniel Tucanayo Torres, who comes into the fight with a record of 14-5, and five, going up against Alejandro El Galito Flores, who comes in with a record of 21 victories and four defeats. I see a lot of people picking the former KSW champion in Daniel Torres, he had a title-winning performance in KSW against... Oh, I can't think of his name. I literally just watched the fight, too. Um, Saladin Parnas. And Saladin Parnas is a solid technical fighter, a really solid southpaw. Um, when you look at a guy in Daniel Torres, he's a guy who is really reliant on his power. He's very explosive. He keeps his hands down. He walks forward in an orthodox stance, and he looks to bomb away on you with big left hooks, right hooks, overhands, uppercuts, but he's not the most active when it comes to the volume. Daniel Torres is going to be a guy who's going to be walking forward, looking for those big bombs until you give him an opening where he can put you away. In the championship-winning performance in the first fight against Saladin Parnas, he was walking him down. He caught him with a, la a right hook, I believe. I believe it was a back right hook, and it didn't even land, but the elbow, the, the forearm and the elbow connected with the back of the ear of Saladin Parnas, and he dropped him, and then when he got back up to the feet, he was wobbly, and the ref stopped the fight. But to be able to drop somebody with almost like a forearm shot and basically knock them out with one hit 
shows just how much power that you have. And you can tell how much power that Torres has just in the way that he's built. He's a short, stocky guy. He's just built all muscle. I mean, no fat on this guy. He's very stocky, walks around with a low stance, and he's going to be looking to land big shots on you. He's never going to win a fight on volume. He's going to win a fight on finding the bigger openings and looking to finish you. He does have decent wrestling, and he can go for front chokes. If you leave your neck out, he will grab it and go for a guillotine and look to take your head home with him. But that's, again, another submission that, you know, if you don't set it up technically, you can get those submissions off pure strength. And that's kind of what I see from Daniel Torres. He is technical. He does have technical ability when he sets up his punches, but a lot of the shots are big power punches. When I look at Alejandro El Galito Flores, 21-4 and as a professional mixed martial artist, he seems a lot more technical to me. He's a lot longer, rangier. He's going to be looking to keep the distance. He's going to be looking to chop the low kicks, inside and outside low kicks, jab left hook, right low kick. He has good stance changing combinations and his straight punches are what are the money makers for him on the feet. Good lunging crosses into jabs, into stance switching combinations, walking forward, changing stances as he's closing the distance. He's very solid and technical. Very good ability to get off on the rear side angle against an orthodox fighter. I've talked about the rear side angles on my YouTube channel, on my breakdowns and stuff like that. He's going to be looking to slip off to his rear right side, and that's going to avoid the jab of Alejandro or of Daniel Torres, and that's going to open up the possibility to land an overhand right or to land a cross as the opponent kind of stands in a perpendicular stance to you. So you're going to bop, slip off to the side, boom, come over the top of the jab with the right cross. By slipping to the lead side angle, you can load up the lead hip and land the left hooks to the body, and then the left hooks up top to the head, slip inside, land an uppercut, slip to the outside, pivot off on the lead foot, and do stuff like that. But I think the rear side angle, especially with the lateral movement against a power puncher the likes of Daniel Torres, who's going to be throwing big bombs with a lot of power, is going to be able to open up those windows to land the counter strikes. And he's a long, tall, rangy guy. He's going to be looking to use that distance. So a lot of jabs, a lot of jab, left hook, right, low kick, jab, front, teep kicks to the body, the right cross over the slipping of the jab to get to the rear side angle, jab, left hook, left hook to the body, right, low kick, lead, teep kick, left hook, right, low kick. He's going to be mixing up the kickboxing combinations. And another thing I think he has an advantage in, I wouldn't say he has the advantage in the strength on the floor, but I think he has the advantage in the scrambling ability. I think he can, I mean, I've seen in a few of his fights, even in the PFL, he's able to not surrender position or he doesn't surrender position. I should say, even if you do get a takedown, he's going to be looking to scramble. He's going to be looking to work his way back up to the feet with a head on the inside single leg and push off and get off on an angle, you know, push off, get up, Use the takedown attempt to stand up and scramble. He's not going to sit there, give up a takedown, and maybe throw a few punches off of his back, but just allow you to sit in that position. Now, in using those scrambles, you can leave yourself open to the guillotine, which we've seen Daniel Torres go for in a few of his fights. But in my opinion, I really like the underdog here. I know he's going up against the KSW champion in Torres, but you know Torres is such a big, heavy striker, and we've seen... Alejandro Flores get knocked out before he got knocked out by Ryoji Kudo with a jab to the body and overhand right that knocked him out right up against the cage. And he's a tall, long-rangey guy. And a lot of the times those guys are so used to be able being able to use their reach and length as an advantage that they keep their head on the center line and don't really use any head movement. And that can leave you open to big power shots if you're not moving your head off of the center line. But I mean, that's simple stuff, you know, that we're talking about. 
Um, I, I like the overall game of Alejandro Flores. I think he's much more technical. I think he has a bigger upside on the floor as long as he can avoid getting his neck caught in a guillotine. He's going to have to avoid the big power shots because we have seen him get knocked out before by a guy in Rio Jikudo. But I think he can stick him with the jab, stick him with the low kicks, and just overall outwork him throughout the majority of the fight. I think his scrambling ability on the floor, even if he does get taken down by Torres, he can scramble into positions and wind up in the top position, landing ground and pound and looking to set up submissions of his own. I really like the overall game of Alejandro Flores. And considering that he's such a huge underdog going into this fight, I really don't understand why. I mean, I see it from the reasoning that Daniel Torres is a former champion in KSW. KSW has given up some guys in the UFC like the middleweight in Drake is still Knox Duplessis, who's coming off that big knockout win over Derek Brunson. So I understand like him being a champion, maybe he would be favored a little bit, but if I look at it from, you know, an overall perspective, when breaking down the fight and looking at it on the odds, you have uh, Alejandro Flores sitting at a, let's see, because I put him in a couple parlays for the week. He's plus 200, and it's probably going to continue to go up. When you're a plus 200 underdog and I see you as the more technical, the sharper fighter, I'm going to go with you all day. So I'm going to give, give me Alejandro El Galito Flores to win this fight via a pretty convincing 29-28 unanimous decision. He's going to stick on the outside. He's going to avoid some big power shots. He might get hit at a certain point, and maybe you have to worry about the durability. But I think he's just the overall better fighter. He has better weapons. He uses his angles, his lateral movement, his in-and-out footwork, his combinations, the stance-changing combinations, and the scrambling ability. That's enough keys and a recipe for success for me. So give me Alejandro El Galito Flores to defeat Daniel Tucan Tucanayo, I should say, Torres, via a 29-28 unanimous decision. Give me the dog on the first fight that we break down. All right, and we continue on down the card with a rematch from the 2021 PFL playoffs in the featherweight division between the former PFL finalist and the Long Island killer, Chris Wade, coming into the bout with a record of 22 victories and eight defeats with a victory over his opponent in Bubba Badman Jenkins, who was the finalist of the 2022 PFL championships where he ended up losing to the featherweight champion of that season in Brendan Lochnan. Bubba Jenkins comes in with a record of 19 and six. You got a fight between the Long Island killer and bad man. Um, look, when I, when I look to break this down, I think you can really get a lot from their last fight. Now I know their last fight was almost two years ago in the 2021 season. And when you were fighting the highest level of fighters, they're going to be making adjustments that are very, very solid for those two years. A lot can change from a fighter in two years, but they're still going to be fighting primarily with the weapons that brought them to the dance. They're not going to forget their biggest weapons. When I look at Bubba Jenkins, it's a guy who's become a little bit more comfortable on the feet, but he likes to use his wrestling. He likes to use his takedowns. He likes to get the opponent up against the cage, work the head on the inside singles, look to work to the body lock, suck their hips out from the cage and the double legs, look to lock up their legs with the triangle not the triangle leg mount but looking to leg lace control from the top ground and pound and look to set up submissions he's very big on control with his wrestling but the one guy he wasn't able to control and the one guy he was who was able to out scramble him was Chris Wade the Long Island killer Chris Wade was very solid at not settling for positions even when Bubba Jenkins was going for takedowns he was spreading his base wide he was looking to hit the switches he was looking to sit through the middle with the Iranian and work to the back he was constantly you know, fighting position for position against Bubba Jenkins. And I think with a guy like Bubba Jenkins, he's 
seems to have that type of ego. And I'm not saying this in a bad way. I'm just saying it from what I see. He has that ego where if you're really able to combat him, if you're really able to push him, pressure him, if you're able to shut down the weapons, whether it's in the grappling or the striking, that he's used to being able to bully people with. When you can't bully somebody and you're so used to it, I think that's when Bubba Jenkins starts to break. Now, I don't think he falls off a cliff, metaphorically, but if you're able to constantly chain positions together, if you're able to chain wrestle with him, if you're able to reverse position, if you're able to settle in the top of in a fight where he feels like he's going to have such a big advantage in that area, then that's going to break him mentally and that's going to cause him to start to lose those rounds and give up the fight. Now he knows that Chris Wade can wrestle with him. He knows that Chris Wade can scramble for positions. He knows that Chris Wade can wind up on top, can push him up against the cage, can work from the half guard, can work from the full mount, can settle for top position against Bubba Jenkins where he originally thought he was the superior wrestler. So going into this fight, I think Bubba Jenkins is going to have a lot more respect for a guy in Chris Wade, but I still don't think that necessarily changes how the fights play. The fight plays out. I would say that the better boxer on the feet is going to be Bubba Jenkins. He has a very solid right jab. He was catching Brendan Lockton with it in the championship fight the entire time, even when he was losing, even when he was getting chopped up with those low kicks, he was still catching him with the southpaw jab, the southpaw jab into the check right hook, the straight left hand over the, you know, down the middle. His boxing is pretty sharp, but I don't think he's comfortable enough on the feet to get into exchanges where if he gets caught a few times, he might just resort back to the wrestling. And I don't think he's going to be able to out-wrestle Chris Wade. I know we saw Chris Wade get out-wrestled by Movlid Haibulayev, but even early on in that fight, he was reversing position. He was scrambling. He was stuffing takedowns. He was making it difficult for Movlid to even secure positioning early in those champ early in those rounds before we got to the second half of the fight in the midpoint of the third, the fourth, and the fifth round. Um, I like Chris Wade in this fight a lot. I think Bubba Jenkins' striking has gotten him better to the point where maybe he can give some issues to Chris Wade on the feet. He might be able to catch him with the straight left hand, might be able to catch him with the check right hook. But Chris Wade's a guy who switches stances a lot, primarily fights as a southpaw, looks to land the straight left hand, the left kick to the body, the check right hook to the left high kick. He caught... Um, What's his name? He caught Kyle Bokniak with a big head kick in the championship for the 2020, not the championship, but in the 2022 season. Caught him with a big head kick and ended up getting a TKO. Prior to that, he actually got the first knockout of his career in the 2021 season with a head kick as well, primarily from the southpaw position. But against another southpaw in Bubba Jenkins, I think he's going to be looking to change his stances a lot between orthodox and southpaw. I think he's going to go back to the orthodox stance, land the right kick to the body, look to chop the body kicks, the inside low kicks. I know he saw that in the Brendan Lockton fight that he had a lot of issues with the low kicks. And I think with Southpaw versus Southpaw, it's going to open up that back rear low kick. And I think that we're going to see Chris Wade attack that. When they're both in Southpaw, it's going to be more of a boxing heavy approach from either fighter with the left low kicks coming from Chris Wade. But he's going to have to watch out with the way he sets it up because he's not going to want to have Bubba Jenkins catch a low kick, jump in on it, and shoot a takedown. But at the same time, he's confident enough in those positions to be able to scramble with Bubba Jenkins. And he knows that he can hang with him in the wrestling. So it's not like the factor of the unknown where if Bubba Jenkins takes him down, if Bubba Jenkins pushes him up against the cage, he's just going to be able to out-wrestle him and outwork him. From what we've seen before, even with improvements that I think Bubba Jenkins is making, Chris Wade is making improvements as well. 
I fully believe that he's the better wrestler in terms of an MMA aspect. And although he might be able to control him for certain positions and maybe Bubba Jenkins is going to look to just push Chris Wade up against the cage, control him with the double leg positioning, work his way back to the body lock, and then look to land knees to the thigh, knees to the body, and stuff like that. I could definitely see that being a possibility and a path to victory for um, Bubba Jenkins, but I really just don't see him getting it done here against Chris Wade. I think the striking on the feet with the boxing goes to the side of Bubba Jenkins. I think he's cleaner. He's crisper. Maybe he's able to outstrike him. The kicking game, the inside and outside low kicks, the kicks to the body from the orthodox positioning, you know, the ability of Chris Wade to switch stances, lunge in with his punches, land kicks with power from either the southpaw or the orthodox stance, and then the ability that he knows he can mix up the wrestling and hang in the grappling department with Bubba Jenkins. Going up against a guy in Bubba Jenkins who is more used to just dominating fights, and yeah, he can. he's not like a guy who's going to quit, but if you're able to really control him, if you're able to win fights in positions where he believes he was originally going to have the advantage, I think you can break Bubba Jenkins a little bit, and I think Chris Wade's going to do that again in this fight. I think Chris Wade is going to overall be the better fighter. I think he'll be able to scramble with Bubba Jenkins. I think he's going to attack the low kicks because we saw the low kicks be a big problem for him against Brendan Lochnan. I think he's going to attack the low kicks. I think he's going to work his kicks to the body. He's going to be looking to land his boxing combinations just to close the distance to get into the wrestling exchanges. And I think he's going to be scrambling with Bubba Jenkins and be able to wind up in the superior position once those scrambles finish off. So my pick for this fight is going to be Chris Wade. I think the Long Island Killer goes 2-0 against Bubba Jenkins and wins this fight via another decision. I think he's just going to be overall having the bigger moments controlling Bubba Jenkins in the wrestling, tiring him out in this midpoint of the second round and into the third, and just overall being the better fighter. I think we'll see a more kick-heavy approach from Chris Wade, but it's more going to be on the side of inside and outside low kicks, less than kicks to the body because he's not going to want to have Bubba Jenkins catch the kicks, take it, get taken down, and then work his wrestling, even though he can scramble with him like we've touched on multiple times already. So I'm going to go with the Long Island killer Chris Wade to improve to 23-8 and eight and defeat Bubba Badman Jenkins via 29-28 unanimous decision. I really like Chris Wade in this spot. I could see you maybe siding with the boxing and the boxing improvements of Bubba Jenkins under Dewey Cooper. But I got to go with Chris Wade. So Chris Wade to win and defeat Bubba Badman Jenkins via 29-28 unanimous decision. All right, and now we move to the next fight up again in the featherweight division between the 2021 featherweight champion for PFL in the return of Molid, the killer Haibulayev, who comes in with an undefeated professional mixed martial arts record of 19 victories. No losses, one draw, and one no contest. Going up against Ryoji Kudo, who comes back with a record of 11 victories, four defeats, and one no contest. Movlid Haibulayev was a basically exactly what his nickname says. He was a killer in the 2021 PFL season. He got hurt by Brendan Lockton in the championship at certain points. But for the majority of it, I mean, or not in the championship, um... In one of the semifinal fights, he got hurt by Brendan Lockton with a big uppercut, constantly getting hurt, but then he was just able to use his wrestling, close the distance, work, you know, big looping power shots to close the distance, push the opponents up against the cage, work his takedowns, work the top positioning, work the grappling, look to bomb away with ground and pound, look to get into the triangle leg mount, look to leg lace, look to control the wrist with the Dagestani handcuff. I mean, that's what Malid Haibulayev is going to be looking to do. He can strike. He's not afraid to strike. He's got knockout power on the feet, good wrestling, good grappling ability, good top control, good submissions, great ground and pound. He is a very well-rounded fighter, is the killer. Um, very good flying knees. He knocked out Damon Jackson with a flying knee. 
in an earlier PFL season, caught him stepping in, boom, flying knee, knocked him out. Um, he likes to enter with big looping punches like I already touched on. He's big with the overhand lefts, the overhand rights, big looping left hooks over the top, straight right hands, shooting in on the takedowns, one, twos, looping punches. So he'll start with the straight punches, then he'll enter with the looping punches. Once he's already closed the distance enough to where he knows that even if you have the reach advantage, you're not going to be able to catch him with those straight cleaner shots because he's already closed the window with the looping punches and you didn't catch on quick enough. Then he's in on your hips. Then he's pushing you up against the cage. He's looking to work the takedowns. He's looking to get to the top position. Going up against the fighter and his opponent in Ryoji Kudo, like I think Ryoji Kudo is being disrespected in this fight a little bit. I know people are going to look at the Bubba Jenkins fight in the 2022 season where he got taken down. He got submitted early. I believe it was a submission in the first round um, via rear naked choke. I could be wrong on the exact submission in the round, but I know he did submit him pretty early on in their contest. Took him down, out-wrestled him, submitted him. And that was a wrap. And you look at a guy like Movlid Haibulayev, who many people would probably believe would be able to out-wrestle Bubba Jenkins in an MMA setting, would be able to close the distance, would be able to overall outwork him the longer the fight went. Now, I would probably tend to agree on that, but you have to also look on the side of Haibulayev where he didn't fight during the 2022 PFL season. So he took a year off. What, what has he been doing in that year? Has he been training? Has he been taking it serious? You know, he won the million dollars from the 2021 season, and then he didn't show up for the 2022 season. So I'm sure he was still training. I'm sure he was taking it serious, but did that million dollars that he won kind of cause him to take a little bit of a break, not train as hard, you know, take a little bit of a year of leisure, I guess you could say, and not really look to come back, but he's back this year. And he's looking to make a statement. Having that year off, you have to take that into consideration when breaking down the fight, especially from a betting perspective. I think that Movlid Haibulayev should have the advantages in the fight, but Ryoji Kudo is a solid striker. He arguably defeated Brendan Lochtan in the 2022 season um, where Brendan Lochtan won a technical decision, but he dropped him in the first round. He was catching him as Lochtan was moving laterally with his chin up in the air. He likes to move laterally and you know, keep that distance and circle along the fence. And he was getting caught with the left hook. He was getting caught with the overhand right. He was getting caught with the uppercut to the left hook, the straight right to the left hook, you know, and Ryoji Kudo has good boxing ability, decent kicking, but the majority of his success comes in the speed and technical power or the speed and technique that he has in his boxing. And that's something he's going to be looking to exploit here against Movlid Haibulayev. We've seen Haibulayev get finished, even though it didn't count because I believe it was to Daniel Pineda even though that didn't count because Pineda was on some type of steroids, he did get finished. He did get knocked out. Um, let's see. I'm going to look that up real quick because that's going to be a big aspect of how to break down this Cujo fight or Kudo fight. I'm sorry. Let's see. Um, is it on here? Oh, it's not listed. They didn't list it, man. Oh, here it is. Yeah, um, it was overturned. He got knocked out in 29 seconds of the first round in the PFL 2019 season by Daniel Pineda, who just got a huge win against Tucker Lutz in his return to the UFC. He was a huge underdog, like plus 240. I picked him to win that fight. But going back to what we talked about, he can get caught, he can get hurt, and it's mainly with boxing. It's not so much with knees. It's not so much with kicks. It's with the hands. And a guy with the speed and power of Ryoji Kudo, with the lateral movement, the ability to counter off the lateral movement, and also taking into consideration that Movlid has had a long time off. 
He has not fought for a long time. He didn't fight last year. You know, I'm sure he was training, but he didn't take it as serious as if he would have been competing. And I mean, I know that's common sense, but I mean, looking at this fight, man, I think Ryoji Kudo can give Movlid some issues. I think he can catch him with some big boxing combinations. I think he can hurt him at certain points. I really do think that there is a way, there is a universe where Ryoji Kudo lands a big shot on Movlid, hurts him, you know, swarms on him like a buzzsaw and gets him out of there. I mean, look at the fight he had against Alejandro Flores, who we talked about earlier. He was able to catch him with a jab to the body, I believe, in an overhand right up against the fence and knock him out cold. I mean, just one hitter, quitter, just bang right on the chin. And I'm going to look up his record real quick so we can break it down. Um, Ryoji Kudo, here we go. 11 and 4, but out of his 11 wins, he's got 7 wins by KOTKO. He doesn't have any submissions, but the guy is going to be looking to land big bombs on you. He's going to be looking to knock you out. Alejandro Flores, a knockout in the first round, lost to Brendan Lockman via technical decision in a fight where some people believed he did enough to win. He did get taken down, get, did get out wrestled by, by Lockman later in that fight, and that's against a guy who does have wrestling, but he normally doesn't showcase it. He likes to keep it on the feet, but he showcases it with his takedown defense. He lost a unanimous decision to Kiesuke Sasu. Yeah, Kiesuke Saku um, knocked out Kenato Yamamoto in the first round. Knocked out Shohei Nose in the first round. Knocked or uh, knocked out Asuka Sabukai, right? Asuka. Oh, I'm sorry, Asuka Subaki in the first round. Two minutes and fifty nine seconds into it, a couple decisions on his record. A TKO in the second round over Yoshiteru Kubomura. Um, looking at the fight though, like, look, he's got boxing. He's sharp. He's technical on the feet is kudo, but seeing the fact that he's had a lot of issues with the grappling, gotten taken down, got controlled. Yeah. Against Bubba Jenkins, who is a high level wrestler. So you have to take that with consideration. He could probably do that to a lot of guys in the PFL, but against Brendan Lockton, who's not known as a wrestler. And yes, he's been working on his wrestling. He's been you know, sharpening up his grappling skills, his takedown defense, his scrambling ability, his ability to use his wrestling offensively, not just defensively. So yeah, take that into consideration. But if you're getting taken down by a guy like Lachnan and you're going up against a guy in Movlid Haibulayev who was able to do that exact same thing to Chris Wade, the exact same thing to Brendan Lachnan, like that's a guy who he's going to have issues with the wrestling of Haibulayev. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Unless Ryoji Kudo catches Haibulayev early on the feet with a big left hook, a big overhand right, a jab to the body, a right hand, a left hook, an uppercut on the left hook. Like, if he catches him with a good shot on the feet, he can hurt him and knock him out. We've seen Haibulayev get knocked out. We've seen him get hurt before. But the longer the fight goes, the more it's going to play into the house of Movlid, the killer Haibulayev. He's going to use those takedowns. He's going to use those looping punches to close the distance. He's going to use those straight punches into looping punches, into level changes, pushing him up against the cage, getting the takedowns, working the ground and pound, and just overall sucking the life out of Rio G. Kudo once the fight hits the mat. And that's kind of what I think happens in this fight. I like Kudo, even though he's 11 and four and one, like I like his style. I like his technical ability on the feet. I like his lateral movement, his footwork, but eventually he's going to get closed off. He's going to get taken down. He's going to get controlled from the top, and he's going to get bombed away on, in my opinion. I'm going to go with Movlid Haibulayev to find a submission in this fight early on. I'm going to say that uh, Kujo survives the first round, but eventually gets taken down in the second, controlled um, controlled from the top position, ground and pound. Looks, you know, Movlid Haibulayev gets into the mount. Kudo, Kujo, ugh, oh my God, I can't talk. Kudo gives up his back. 
and gets rear naked choked. So my pick is Movlid the Killer Haibulayev to come back after missing the 2022 PFL season and win the first fight of the 2023 PFL season for him via second round rear naked choke submission. I do not mind the shot on the dog though. If I'm looking at it from a betting perspective, I do not mind the shot on the dog Ryoji Kudo at like a plus 450, plus 460 because of the knockout ability, because of the time away for Movlid Haibulayev. Like sometimes that ring rust has different effects on people and some people don't come back the same. And we've seen his chin get tested. We've seen him get rocked and come back from it. We've seen him get knocked out before. So there is a possibility that Kudo can bust saw him, come hit him early and just bang away on him and put him away. So from a betting perspective, I think it's dog or pass all day. Ryoji Kudo at like plus 450, plus 460. But from a pick perspective, I have to go with the favorite in Movlid Haibulayev. The 2021 PFL featherweight champion to come back in the 2023 season and get the first win of the season for him via finish. So Movlid, the killer Haibulayev via a second round rear naked choke submission over Ryoji Kudo. Up next, we move to the co-main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division. You have the 2022 PFL light heavyweight champion in Razor Rob Wilkinson coming into the fight with a record of 17 victories and two defeats, going up against the former UFC light heavyweight title challenger, the light heavyweight contender, and the sledgehammer known as Mahenta. Tiago Mahenta Santos making his PFL debut in the 2023 season against the 2022 champion. He comes into the fight with a record of 22 victories and 11 defeats. And as we already touched on, Razor Rob Wilkinson comes back with a record of 17 victories and two losses. This is a great fight, and it's a big test for Rob Wilkinson in the first fight for him for the season, and it's a big test for Santos. I think a lot of people who maybe don't know PFL that well are going to come into this fight and look at it from the perspective of Tiago Santos arguably beat John Jones on one leg, tore both of his knees. He went back and forth with Jamal Hill, was able to take him down, out-wrestle him, out-grapple him, land some decent shots on the feet, beat Johnny Walker by a decision, you know, almost knocked out Glover Teixeira. And all those things are, are very, you know, solid things to look at when breaking down this fight. I understand, like, the, the competition level is heavily on the side of Santos, and you really can't argue that at all. The last loss for... Razor Rob Wilkinson was actually in the middleweight division in the UFC to the former UFC middleweight champion in Israel Adesanya, and I think he defeated him in his UFC debut, did Adesanya. Since then, Rob Wilkinson hasn't lost a fight. He went into the PFL season, finished a ton of his opponents. You know, he's got big power in his boxing ability. He has decent kicking, but it's about the volume. It's about the boxing. And the thing about Rob Wilkinson is he has really solid volume on the feet for a big guy in the light heavyweight division. Like he'll throw five, six, seven, eight punch combinations at you. He'll come forward with a lunging stance, switching combinations, big uppercuts, huge left hooks, one, two, left hook, right uppercut, right uppercut, left hook, right hand, double jab, right hand, right hand, left hook, double jab, right hand. Like he'll come at you with all these combinations and he'll look to shut you down. But he also can win on the volume because he has really good volume for a guy in the light heavyweight division. He's going up against Tiago Santos, who does change his stances, but primarily likes to fight out of the southpaw stance. When it comes to the big one-shot power on the uh, when it comes to breaking down the fight, I would say that that's definitely on the side of the sledgehammer in Tiago Santos. Like, he's going to have the bigger one-punch power, and if he catches Rob Wilkinson on the chin, he can put him away. 
you know, Tiago Santos can put anybody away if he catches them on the chin. But the one thing I look at when I look at Santos is a guy who hasn't been the same since he got that knee injury to John Jones. Ever since that John Jones loss, and it's kind of the same thing with Dominic Reyes on the side of the John Jones effect. Um, you know, ever since he got those injuries, the knee injuries, and he tore both of his knees apart, Tiago Santos hasn't been the same. His cardio has suffered. He hasn't been as explosive. He hasn't been moving around the cage as much. He used to be very in and out, you know, kind of like traditional martial arts style with his footwork in and out, lateral movement, and exploding into big shots. He could still do that, and he still has big power, but he kind of likes to fight at a more reserved style now, and I think it's due to the knee injury he suffered in the John Jones fight. And I mean, yeah, he caught Glover Teixeira, almost knocked him out. But when he couldn't knock him out, he got finished. And if it hits the ground, like Tiago Santos is kind of a fish out of water. Now, I think Razor Rob Wilkinson is going to want to keep this fight on the feet. He's going to want to box with Tiago Santos. The only thing I don't like about Rob Wilkinson is the fact that his head movement is kind of non-existent. He likes to lunge in with the straight punches, his hooks, his uppercuts, and his boxing combinations are clean. But he leaves his head on the center line without any form of a high guard to the point where if Tiago Santos can time you stepping in and catch you, kind of like he did against Jan Blachowicz where he was backing up, walking to the cage, caught him with a check hook and knocked him out. Like, I think he can catch Rob Wilkinson that way and bang away on his chin and put him away. Tiago Santos is going to have the power to knock out Rob Wilkinson. But based off the knee injuries, based off of the way that I've seen Tiago Santos perform recently in his career, ever since that John Jones fight, I don't know how anybody could be super confident and supremely confident in picking Tiago Santos to win his PFL debut. And another thing you have to look at is that a lot of these guys who start off in the UFC and then they go to a PFL, they go to a Bellator, they go to one championship. Like in the one championship side, you look at Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time. And even he got knocked out in in you know one championship by um, Andre Adriano Martins. Yeah, I believe it was no, not Adriano Martins. Who was the guy? Uh, who was the guy? Adriano Morales. Hold on, let's see. I want to look that up because for some reason, I think his last name was Morales or Mart. Let's see. Give me a second, and I will tell you. Adriano Morais. Sorry, that's it. I was combining names. Um, yeah, Adriano Morais. He got knocked out with a knee in the second round, but he's been pretty successful in that promotion aside from that and even came back and TKO'd Adriano Morais. So, but you look at guys like, I mean, who's other guys that have walked? I mean, Jeremy Stevens went over to the PFL. He had okay success, but he didn't do as well. Um, you have other guys like look at Eddie Alvarez leaves the UFC, goes to one championship and he wins a couple fights, but for the most part, you know, gets dominated, get, you know, loses a couple fights. A lot of these guys who leave the UFC and go to another promotion, a lot of people think that just because they were in the UFC that they have, you know, they're going to have so much success in these other promotions. It doesn't usually work like that. I'm going to be honest. Like, and even guys who come out of other promotions and go to the UFC, sometimes they don't have the biggest success, but they pick it up the longer they've been in there. Um, look at Marlon Morais coming over to PFL, looking great in the early on against Shaman Morais, but then getting knocked out, you know, getting getting clipped, getting dropped, getting finished. And, you know, everybody probably thought that Marlon Morais was going to dethrone everybody in the PFL. He was going to walk through Shaman Morais, and that's not what happened. And with Razor Rob Wilkinson and Tiago Santos, because we'll talk a little bit more about Marlon Morais when we get to the main event, but 
I think Razor Rob Wilkinson has the boxing ability to knock out a guy in Tiago Santos. I think he has the ability, and I don't really like the cardio of Santos. I think he can get tired. I think he can wear, you know, whittle away. And I know it's going to be a three-round fight, so the cardio probably isn't going to be the biggest weapon, and it's going to be more of the power and explosiveness and the one-shot KO power of Tiago Santos compared to the overall higher volume crisper boxing combinations, crisper technique on the side of Razor Rob Wilkinson. I think if Tiago Santos uses more of his kicking game in this fight, that he can definitely win. I would say to use more of the body kicks from Southpaw, the high kicks, the spinning hook kicks, the front kicks to the body, the flying knees, the knees to the body, using your lower half to kind of chop down Rob Wilkinson, even to the body and stuff like that is going to be your best path to victory. But with a guy who has so that huge knee injury and hasn't really been the same, is he going to be confident enough to use those big kicks, to use those big explosive movements and potentially re-injure his knee? Tiago Santos is not the same fighter he was before he fought John Jones. And based off that fact, I don't think anybody should be supremely confident in picking him. And I already said that, but I'm going to you know reiterate it here because I think it's definitely important when breaking down the contest. I think Rob Wilkinson has better technique on the feet with his boxing. I think that he has obviously has more experience in the PFL, but I like his overall game a little bit more than I like Santos. I like the knockout upside of Tiago Santos, but based off the injuries and the way he looked after those injuries, I'm not confident in him being able to defeat the light heavyweight champion from the 2022 season. I really am not. I, I like I originally, maybe I was going to go with Santos, but when I really thought about it and looked at it, like I know he had a close fight with Jamal Hill. I know he used his wrestling more And yeah. If he uses his wrestling, if he uses his kicking, he has the better overall game than Rob Wilkinson. But I think Razor Rob's going to put away Tiago Santos. I think the longer the fight goes, the straight punches, the hooks, the uppercuts, the forward pressure of Razor Rob Wilkinson is going to get to Tiago Santos the longer the fight goes. And he's eventually just going to wear on him. And towards the end of that second round, I think Razor Rob's going to put him away. I'm going to go with Razor Rob Wilkinson to improve to 18 and 2 and defeat the UFC veteran and the PFL newcomer in Tiago Magenta Santos via second round TKO. I just don't like Santos ever since those knee injuries. I really don't. I, I don't love him at all. And you know, I can't pick him here. Like I want to, I want to see Tiago Santos have success, but I think Rob Wilkinson's too much in his first PFL fight. And I think he gets put away. So Razor Rob Wilkinson to defeat Tiago Magenta Santos via second round TKO in Santos's PFL debut. And now we get to the main event, the featured bout of PFL 1 2023 in the featherweight division. It's a barn burner of a matchup between the 2022 PFL featherweight champion in Brendan Lochnan coming in with a record of 25 victories and four defeats going up against the former UFC bantamweight title challenger, the one shot knockout artist, the speedy technical and crisp magic Marlon Morice, who comes in with a record of 23 victories, 11 losses and one no contest. Man, look. I know people are going to sit there and immediately count out Marlon Moraes because of his recent track record in the UFC, because of his chin issues, his durability issues. You look at the fight with Shaman Moraes, he gets knocked out after basically dominating the entire fight, landing some good shots on the feet, big left hooks, good straight rights, jab, load up the left hip, left hook, right hand, right uppercut, left hook, load up the punches, really solid crisp technique, good takedown ability. Timing the forward pressure of Shaman Marais, taking him down with inside and outside trips, body lock takedowns, working from the top position, dominating the fight. He, before he got knocked out, he was like a minus 2,500, minus 3,000 favorite 
but he got caught with a big shot, caught in the right spot, dropped, worked his way back up to the feet, got dropped again, and Shamon Morais won the fight in a fight where Marlon Morais was dominating. It looked like he was easily going to win that fight. And that's not what happened. He got caught, he got clipped, he got finished. And the durability issues are something that is a big you know, concern on the side of Magic Marlon Morais. He has great technique, yes. He has great knockout power, yes. Beautiful left switch kick, yes, absolutely. Beautiful boxing, even almost hurting and or hurting, you know, Marab Devalishvili a ton and almost putting him away. Absolutely, yeah. He's got the knockout power to knock out anybody. But it's the durability issues. It's the fact that if that power doesn't work for you, can you know he still come forward and win the fight? And the answer is no. If the power doesn't work for Marais, you know, and he kind of gets walked down, if the person can walk through his power, if they're not really, you know, submitting to the power that Marais has, then he's going to get walked down and he's going to get put away because eventually you're just going to get worn out. He's going to, he's a big muscular guy. He's going to get worn out. He's going to get the volume put on him. He's going to get hit with some big shots and he's going to get knocked out. After that loss to Rob Font, where I picked Rob Font to win that fight against Marlon Marais, he was a pretty decently sized underdog, I believe, and he was able to put him away. You know, he gets TKO'd by Marab Devalishvili, knocked out by Sonya Dong with an uppercut, you know, uh, put away by Shaman Morais, where if we're looking at the fight from a technical standpoint, Brendan Lochtin scored his first and only UF, or a PFL knockout victory, aside from the knockout he had in the championship against Bubba Jenkins over Shaman Morais. And he knocked him out, I believe it was the first round, it could have been the second, but the straight punches, the combinations, the uppercuts, the left hooks, the right hands, the 1-1-2s down the middle, 1-2, pull, 1-2, knocked out Shaman Morais. Now Shaman Morais was able to knock out Marlon Morais, and even though Marlon was dominating the fight, the big shots of Marlon weren't able to put away um Brendan Lockton. And this is also in the featherweight division where, yeah, Marlon Marais is going to have more weight on him. He's going to be more hydrated than at bantamweight. So maybe his durability isn't going to be as bad as it was in the UFC's bantamweight division. I, I, I understand that. And I think that that is something you have to look at. But I think Brendan Lockton is going to walk through Marais. If Marais can't put him away in the first round where it's always first round for Marlon Marais. Like you have to be worried. I don't care if you're betting a, against Marlon Marais with Peter Jan. Freaking Shane Burroughs, um, Brendan Lockton. I don't care who you're betting against Marlon Marais for. In that first round, you have to be cautious and you have to be worried that Marais is going to land a big head kick, land a big left hook, land a big uppercut left hook, a big knee, and put the opponent away. I mean, he even caught the current UFC bantamweight champion in Eljamain Sterling with a switch kick, but he landed the knee right on the chin, knocked out Eljamain so bad he did the dab while he was unconscious. And now Eljamain Sterling is the current UFC bantamweight champion. So I know Marlon Marais is like one in five in his last six fights. Actually, let me pull that up real quick. I think he's one in five in his last six. Uh, give me a second and I will let you know. Because this doesn't want to work. Let's see. Marlon. Marais. Here we go. Magic Marlon Marais. So he's 23 and 11 in his pro MMA career. I think I said that right. Did I say 22 or 23? Okay, I got the record right. 23 and 11. Out of those 11 losses, though, he's got eight losses by KO or TKO. And a lot of them came recently. I mean, yeah, he's he defeated Jose Aldo via split decision. Before that, he lost to Henry Cejudo. And then since the Jose Aldo fight, he's lost five fights in a row. So he's one in five in his last six fights. And he lost all of those fights via knockout. 
He, he got knocked out by Corey Sandhagen with a spinning wheel kick, got knocked out with the boxing and the uppercuts of Rob Font to the ground and pound, got TKO'd on the ground by Marab Devalishvili in a fight where it looked like Marlon Marais was running away with it. He gets knocked out with a lead uppercut by Song Yedong, put away, and then gets knocked out by Shaman Marais 58 seconds into the third round of a fight where he was, like I said, a minus 3,000 favorite going into that third round on the live odds and was clearly running away with it, using more of his wrestling, using more of his grappling to do well in the fight. And I just really can't side with Marlon here. If you think that he has the ability to land big shots and knock out Brendan Lockman in the first round, I could see why you're saying that because he did get hurt by Ryoji Kudo. Like Ryoji Kudo caught Brendan Lockman. He hurt him. He dropped him. If Ryoji Kudo's dropping you, I'm not, that's, this is no knock on Ryoji Kudo, but Marlon Marais, if he connects, can knock you out. We haven't seen any real durability issues on the side of Lockman, but we saw in that Kudo fight, he can get clipped and it's more off the lateral movement. The lateral movement that Brendan Lockman uses defensively, he's very good at using the lateral movement left and right. Framing off with the lead hand, using the lead hand frame. After he lands his combinations, he's out of there. He's circling, but he doesn't really, you know, switch up the direction and the tempo of the lateral movement. If he's moving to his right, he's going to be moving to the right for a long time to the point where you can set something up. If he's moving to the left laterally off the cage, he can move laterally and, you know, he'll continue to move in that direction. It's not a fake left movement, move right, fake right, move left. It's kind of just once he goes in the one direction, he's going to be doing that for at least three or four seconds. And against a guy who's as explosive as Marlon Morice, he does have the opportunity to catch him with a big left hook and knock out Brendan Lockman. Like, I think Marlon Marais can put Brendan Lockman away. I think he does have the ability to knock out Brendan Lockman. Um, when it comes to a betting perspective on the fight, I don't like the bets at all because Brendan Lockman's like a minus 800 favorite. I understand why, but I think that's crazy. I think the highest Lockman should be is like minus 300. The fact that he's up to almost a minus 800 right now is unbelievable considering that I know Marlon Marais is one in five in his last six, but he still has the knockout ability. He's still explosive. He has submissions. He's very good technically. It's just the durability issues that people are basing that line off of for Marais. And it it makes 100% sense because you look at the fight against Shaman Marais where he was winning the fight until he wasn't. And once he wasn't, the fight was over. And that could be the same situation here against Lockton. Lockton's going to be looking to use those low kicks. He's going to be looking to use the straight punches, circle off to the rear side, land the right, the right cross, the left hook, the jab, left hook, right uppercut, double jab up top, constantly moving left and right, constantly fainting in and out, right low kicks. He used the low kicks so well against uh, Bubba Jenkins. I expect him to consistently go to the low kicks again. He has really solid takedown defense that he's been working on. His takedown defense, his get-up game is really, really solid. It's improved so much just in his few short years in the PFL. Um, you know, he, he's probably going to be the more well-rounded fighter, but I wouldn't even necessarily 100% say that. I know I just did, so I'm contradicting myself, but I think Marlon Marais is sharper. I think he's crisper. I think he's cleaner. I think he has more knockout power. I think he's fought the better competition. All the, the like intangibles, all the MMA math should go to the side of Magic Marlon Marais, but based off the durability issues, based off the chin issues, based off the fact that if you hurt him, he's going to be out of there. I have to go with Lockton here. I have to go with the 2022 featherweight champion to win this fight. I have to. I have no choice. I can't pick a guy who's got those durability issues. I can't pick a guy who, once the, the wheels start to fall off, the entire train falls off the tracks and gets blown up with an M80. Like, I can't pick that guy. He Because once he falls off, it's over for him. There's no, oh, he's falling off and he comes back and wins. Once he falls off, it's over for Marais. 
And I think that's going to be the similar situation here against Lachnan. Unless he catches him early with a switch kick to the head, a big body shot, a knee, a flying knee, a big left hook, a right hand. If he catches Brendan Lachnan early and he's got power, or not that if he's got power, if he catches him early and he's got the gas tank to continue to push forward and put him away, I think he can knock out Brendan Lachnan. So if you're betting on the side of Morice as a huge underdog, you take that first round knockout or first round finish for Morice. Because after the first round, it's over for him. He's not winning this fight. So my pick is going to be Brendan Lochnan to defeat Magic Marlon Marais via a second round TKO. I think he gets another knockout here. I think the durability issues of Marais, I mean, they're just glaring holes in his game at this point. And, you know, one in five in his last six, there's no way I can pick Marais. But if you want to pick Marais and you're big on that first round finish, then you would bet fight doesn't go the distance under one and a half rounds, like something like that. Because if you're on the side of Marais, it's either Marais in round one, under one and a half rounds, or fight doesn't go to decision. Or if you're anything other than that, it's all on the side of Lachnan. Um, I think the best bet for this fight overall would be fight doesn't go to decision or the under two and a half rounds. It's probably going to be juiced heavily because I think the odds makers know that that's probably what's going to happen. Um, if you're on the side of Marais, it would be Marais by knockout or submission or under one and a half rounds because there's no way after the first round that he's going to get Lachnan out of there. So I think it's a it's a decently scary first round for Brendan Lachnan, but after that first round, he puts the pace on him, puts the pressure on him, and eventually wears him out to the point where he lands those crisp boxing combinations, the straight right, the, the left hook, the right low kick, the one-two, the rear uppercut, and he puts away Magic Marlon Marais. I think he catches him with an uppercut off a level change, drops him, and knocks him out, kind of like a Rob Font. So I'm going to go with Brendan Lockton to defeat Magic Marlon Marais via second-round TKO in the main event of the first event of PFL's 2023 season. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your audio podcast. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, and many, many more. These predictions will be broken down, edited, and uploaded to my YouTube channel, which is the same name as the podcast, at the Touch Em Up Podcast. Thank you guys for watching, and enjoy the first PFL event of 2023.